Marcus, how you doing? Doing great, Rich. How are you, man? Very well, thanks, buddy. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the 12th episode of The Six Sessions. Each week, I've been lucky enough to chat with someone in the growth space across marketing, sales, and CX, and today's guest is going to give us a glimpse into growth from a product marketing perspective. If you're anywhere near the product marketing space, you'll know this guy. He's absolutely going to say some smart things, and hopefully, we'll all learn something. Or at the very least, we're going to be entertained for 30 minutes on a Friday, and after all, you're working from home, so your boss can't really see what you're doing. These chats are designed to be short and sweet, but hopefully full of insight, and it's definitely unfiltered, which is what makes it fun. Today's guest, he's done the hard yards at some of the best-known product-driven high-growth tech startups in North America. He's delivered countless go-to-market strategies for the likes of Google, HubSpot, and now Pendo, driving awareness, demand, and most importantly, adoption. He's obsessed with innovation, startups, and playing with new technology, and he's also the host of the Product Marketing Experts podcast, and he's also the ambassador, an ambassador from the uh, for the Product Marketing Alliance, dude. That's uh, it's quite an impressive CV. It's uh, a notch up from mine, I have to say. <laughs> I don't know about that. You've done some cool things too, Rich. But I like it, man. This is great. I feel like you should. Uh, I need you to pump me up every morning before I like jump on my Zoom calls. I dude, one of that. one of the services I've started offering after these is I'll email this to your mom so that she she like, oh, he's got a real job. He's done some cool stuff. <laughs> He's actually doing something. He's not like, yeah, please, please do. That's good. So joining us all the way from Boston, it's my absolute pleasure to close out this week with Marcus Andrews. Marcus, welcome. Glad to be here. Hey, everybody. Very, very excited to uh, chat product marketing. So to begin with, that's like we're now, what, nearly a quarter into uh, 2021. How's it started out for you? Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, it's been a wild ride. Um uh, 2020 and into 2021. I mean, um, uh, 2020 was obviously a crazy year, but, uh, you know, made it, made it through it. There's still a lot of challenges, obviously, but I mean, for me, really this, the beginning of 2021 is, um, starting Pendo. So, uh, you know, I took some time off in December, which was awesome in between HubSpot and Pendo and now just really getting into a totally new company, totally new space, uh, you know, new persona, persona I'm familiar with, but, uh, just really, really excited for it, and and um, you know, pumped to be on a on a new adventure. So that's really that's really what I'm up to in 2021. You know, lots of good stuff still happening with the podcast, um, and everything. You know, lucky to uh, be in a pretty good situation through all of this. But yeah, that's where I'm at. So let me get this straight. You were like pandemic and elections, and having like a one year old kid wasn't crazy enough. You're like, fuck it, I'm going to change my job as well. <laughs> What do you think? What do you say it that way? It's it is totally true, man. Because the uh, those the last couple of months, I haven't heard news about our, the president in the states for like weeks, and it's just amazing, right? Like we don't have to think about it all the fucking time anymore, and it's so nice. But yeah, November, December uh, were wild, and yeah, that was right when uh, I mean, you know, in December is when um, um, I made I made the decision, and so yeah, it's it's a lot, but. Uh, Pendo was was really a, like a no brainer, you know. I think it's it wasn't didn't seem risky or scary to me at all. I mean, I'm still into it, but I think when you know, you know, and like especially when uh, there's so many good things and signals about a company, I think it like I it wasn't it wasn't too scary. I know. I mean, you've you've obviously got like that excitement of something new as well, like a new a new challenge, and like not that there weren't like challenges and exciting stuff to do at HubSpot because obviously HubSpot's releasing stuff all the time and doing some cool stuff. Yeah. But now you've got like this new challenge that you've been like jumping into. So like, what is, what is Pendo? Like, what do you guys do? Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll explain it through the lens of, uh, you know, the narrative design stuff that I talk about, but basically like the, 
the world has changed. Software has eaten the world. Software is everywhere. Almost every company has software, is building software. They have web apps. Like every company is almost a software company. And for the most part, a lot of software is still really, really bad. It's terrible to use. It's hard to look at. Enterprise software is, is, is awful at times. It's like the difference between, you know, it's like trying to uh, build a landing page in HubSpot versus trying to build a landing page in Marketo, right? It's like one is a really painful experience, one is a really great experience. Uh, and so the companies that uh, are able to build great software, software that people love, software that people talk about, tools that people tell each other about, tools that you know your employees adopt, those are the companies that are really gonna win, I think, in the next like five or 10 years. And that's what Pendo helps companies do. They help, they help software teams build, build software that people love and they help um, enterprises adopt digital solutions. So uh, that's a short story. You know, we are really, really hyper-focused on product teams and teams using software and really helping um, uh, them build better things. And so it's great because I've always worked really closely with product teams um, and product marketing is obviously kind of focused on this problem of bringing, bringing products to market. So it's a really, really nice space for me. And like, what's, what's your role within that mix now? Yeah, so I'm the director of product marketing. Uh, so basically working with our product teams and our marketing teams to uh, position our products to really craft our story. Uh, and then to just make sure that we're doing like amazing product driven marketing uh, and winning market share in our space, increasing revenue and, um, you know, executing great product launches, executing great uh, go to market strategies. And yeah, it's a short story. And it might just be because I'm I'm obviously not in Boston in the tech scene. Like we know a fair few of you guys, but like, is it? It feels like product marketing is is more in vogue now than it used to be. So it used to be like marketing teams, and now it seems like there's there's product marketers and like teams and director of product marketing, all those things like popping up all over the place. Like, is it just my misconception of that, or do you think it is like a rising like facet of marketing? Yeah, no, I definitely think it's rising. I mean, it's something that I, you know, I talk about product marketing a lot because I want, I, you know, I believe in it. I do it. I believe in it, but I've seen the impact of it. I've seen the value of it. Uh, part of the problem with it, though, is that, and you know, the why I started the podcast and why I write about it is that you talk to people and they're like, oh, product marketing. Yeah, the problem with product marketing is it's different at every company or nobody really knows what it is. And it's just totally not true. It's such a mis, it's such a misconception or like a myth because Every single person that comes in my pro on my podcast, some of them will say that. They're like, oh, product marketing is different everywhere. And then I'm like, okay, cool, what do you do? And they're like, well, I do positioning and competitive intelligence and product launches. And I'm like, they say the exact same things. And maybe there's different flavors of it based on your you know, persona or your space or whatever, but it's really not different. It's really like product marketers just need to come together and say the same things and talk about it in the same way and also sell the value of our, um, role to CMOs because CMOs won't invest in something that they don't know what the fuck it is. Right. So it's like, Hey, product marketing. Yeah. It's different everywhere. What do they do? What are they supposed to do? No one's going to invest in that. And I think what's happened in the last like three or four years is that it's really started to like product launches. Like people know what product launches are. They know the value of it. There's a playbook for them. Positioning like positioning is not uh magic anymore it's like you know april dunford wrote a really good book about it like me and, and dan murphy and you know like like uh, all, all we're all talking about it and trying to figure it out it's really a thing now um narrative design you know like telling a good story like that's the thing that i talk about and there's a there's a process and a system to it it can be understood it's not just magic 
And so when you have all of those things and you have, you know, it starts to like, oh, this is a real thing. I understand how it's going to get me value. I've seen it in action. Uh, then CMOs want to invest in it. And I think that's what you're seeing is that like all of a sudden you've got the product marketing alliance, they've got a really good certification. There's just a lot of, you know, it's coalescing into a real, um, um, it's, it's been too vague and too like uh, magic. And now it's coming together into something that is like very concrete and understandable and like real. And so that's why I think you're seeing more of it. You know, it's like, oh, people are hiring for it. Directors of product marketing, VPs of product marketing. It's, it, it might just be because uh, like, like obviously I was, uh, we had this booked in and like I'm more kind of tuned into it. And I speak to Dan Murphy loads. Like it's, and I'm probably just noticing it more. It's like when, you, when you're considering buying a car, you start seeing the car, you want to buy more. But like, I think I've, I've seen that product marketing alliance certification popping up on LinkedIn. Like people saying I've done it or like I'm doing it. I've seen that probably more than like the, the HubSpot versions, the Drift versions, like over yeah. the last uh, few weeks. So it really does feel like there's a bit of momentum behind it. So yeah. what, what got you into product marketing? I bet you didn't like leave, leave college and be like, I'm going to go and be a product marketer. No, I did not. I mean, I was always, uh, I worked at a, I was a, like a PR major journalism minor and I worked at a PR major or PR agency at, straight out of college. Uh, and I was like, you know, I was okay at it. I wasn't great at it, but I always, I gravitated towards the, like, you know, the, like the social media projects, the technology projects, like whatever they were. Uh, and I saw like, that was a better fit for me, but I really wasn't good at this whole like agency thing. And then I went and I joined a technology company, joined a, this uh, startup in, in San Francisco called Wildfire. And that's when I moved into tech and I'm like, oh, this is, this is great. Like, this is way more my style. You know, it's super fast paced. It's really ambiguous. They, they just want people who can come in and make an impact and figure things out. That was a really good fit for me. I was working in the services team, but I had this kind of like marketing agency background, really wanted to move into marketing. But I also just saw that like, the, like technology companies, the best technology companies are product driven, you know, like they like their product and what is at the heart of the thing that they make is important to everything that they sell. You know, I worked at this startup that was really sales driven. And then I went and worked at Google and I kind of got that picture. It's like, look, the best companies, the companies that are going to last for 10 years that are going to blow up are all going to be product driven. That's like, that's what, that's how Google operates. Um, and so I said, all right, cool. I love marketing. I don't want to be a product manager. I'm not into like, you know, APIs and building requirements and whatever. I want to do marketing, but I want to be close to the product. And so that was my first kind of like, all right, this is interesting. And then I started to see, and then I was like, what are all the things that I really like to do? Uh, I was working in a value selling role and like a sales enablement role. And there was at the company, there's really no product marketers. And so there's no one to like turn the products into a deck that the sales team could use. You know, a lot of these basic product marketing stuff that I just really gravitated towards, really loved. So I kind of took those two things and I'm like, what is this? Like, what am I doing? Uh, this is what this this is the role that I want to have, and then I just kind of figured out that that's product marketing. So then I made a move inside of Google to uh, get closer to a product marketing teams. So it was in this go to market um, solutions role, which is essentially um, product marketing for our AdWords sales team. And then I moved to HubSpot to join the product marketing team. And the really fun thing about it is that, like, I mean, over the last five and a half years, and a lot of people. I think underestimate their ability to do this is that it's pretty new and it's not all that well defined. So like you can define it. So like I've, you know, shaped a lot of what product marketing means to me to like the things that I like to do and the things that I'm good at. Right. And the things that I think are impactful. 
Uh, and you do have that ability when you come into an organization with product marketing is that you can really shape it. So yeah, that's kind of how and why I got into it. So that like that that ability to like shape your role though. So that's is that do you reckon that's dependent on having the right kind of line manager, the right CMO that you're working with who is like responsive and like willing to let you run with that path? For sure. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, you know, a technology like these the companies I've worked at, it's there's still even HubSpot, which is big, there's still there's so many problems and there's so many different ways to solve it. Um, you know, and I think like the companies like HubSpot and Pendo both very much value autonomy and like responsibility and being able to go figure it out. So that wasn't ever really a question. I think sometimes people are like, what are you doing? Like, how are you going to solve this? Right. It's like there's, you will get questions, but I think as long as the results, you know, the, the ends justify the means, right. It's like, as long as the results are great, like, uh, I don't think people mind too much how the sausage is made. You know what I'm saying? How do you um? So like one of the, one of the whenever I speak to like product marketers and like I know Dan like waxes lyrical about it as well and like I've chatted to Justin Gracie over at HubSpot as well and like it's always you've got to have access to that product team, right? So like if, if you're too detached from the product team, it's never really going to work. You you might as well just be writing kind of like blog posts about it. Like it's not great. Yeah. So how do you convince a CTO to let you have some of his, his like the, the developer's time or like the product people's time? Because obviously if they're chatting to you, they're not, they've not got fingers on keyboards and kind of bashing the product out. Yeah, so I mean, it's never, it's never been a problem for me, but I think I've worked at companies that get it, um, but I could see how it would be a problem. But I mean, HubSpot's very like, like marketing and story, story driven, right? But, but I think good, the best product teams know that you can't just build product, ship it and expect you can't just build it and they will come, right? You don't like, right? Okay, I write the code, I get the requirement, I talk to customers, I get the requirements, I write the code, and then everything works. Like that's not that's not how it happens. You have to have sellers who can sell it. You know, ideally, you have to have the the product positioned in a way that because like pro technology is fascinating, right? Like you could have the same technology and you can position it in wildly different ways, and it can be totally like. Uh, my favorite example here is like natural language processing technology, right? You could use that for a lot of stuff. You could use it to take sales calls and turn them into transcripts, which is what Gong does. Or you could use it to take uh, podcast interviews and turn it into an editable format, which is what Descript does. Yeah. Nobody would say that Gong and Descript are the same software, but they're kind, they kind of are. It's like those two products are not that different but they're positioned in wildly different ways, right? So positioning, uh, products, like, and also, like there's, there's just so much there. I know I, too many ideas came into my head all there at once, but like uh, products launches, right? Like nobody cares about your company. Nobody gives a shit about you. They're, they're going about their day. They're trying to do their job. They're trying to make money, take care of their families, all of these things. You have to vector your work and message into like moments and so you create product launches. You, know, you have to position your product in a way that is going to give it the best chance to succeed. You have to have a story that is compelling and interesting. Those are product problems, right? Because you can build this stuff, ship it, give it to sales and cross your fingers. Or if you're a PM, you're a product team, you can get involved in that process. And you can say, I'm going to take the best product teams, take responsibility for the go-to-market. And they say, I'm going to make sure that the sales team can sell this. I'm going to make sure that support has what they need to service this. I'm going to work with marketing to help turn this into launches and stories. So um, 
I've always had the the pleasure of like CTOs and C and chief product officers being like, yeah, products marketing, let's go. Um, and I think that's why. I uh, I absolutely love that kind of like as soon as you said it there, like the script and Gong having basically like the same technology but different positioning. Like I then start immediately going, okay, did they like have they started with a challenge and obviously very different challenges that they're trying to solve. But they've ended up with the same tech or if they started with the tech and then kind of build it up from there like how can we use this yeah so, um, i'd love to i'd love to figure that out so it's usually like the founder you know like the found i think the best companies like you know they build what they know right so like it's the difference of saying like hey i know the i know the sales space really really well and i know what machine learn you know natural language processing does how can we take natural language processing and apply it to my problem so usually it starts there you know and that but that, that's the thing like like Drift is an interesting example because they didn't start with like I think they started with like all sorts. I remember at one point really early on in their life cycle, they're going to try to sell to product marketers. And then they, you know, like they they go they went through this like very um they there's this there was this point in time where their product was like uh just like, you know, like this primordial ooze. It didn't it didn't do anything. It wasn't for anyone, but there was something there. And then they went through this positioning process to figure out that, you know, they build um conversational marketing, like you know, chat chat solutions for uh sales and marketing teams. But usually there's like something, you know, there's like a thesis or it's early. It's like, look, nat natural language processing sales teams we're going to put these two things together. And then I think working with product marketers, people who understand the market uh, to figure out, to sharpen that, you know, from like, uh, like a dull blade into like a, you know, into something that can really cut is the thing. Because a lot of the time technology companies, you know, they come out and they're just like, they don't have a point of view. They don't have an identity. You know, they're like, yeah, you could use us for just for anything. Like who are, yeah, you know, like and they don't say who they are and why and who they're for. Uh, and that really hurts your chances to succeed. So I think that's the, um, you know, the positioning process I think is always, a. it really starts with product teams uh, and then product marketing really helps, you know, sharpen it and define it and make it, make it interesting. Um, so Steve's asked a question in the comments. He says, Steve, all right. He's uh, interested in your thoughts <laughs> on the opinion of play bigger authors that the most successful companies didn't necessarily have the best product, often the poorer, but they had the products that customers most quickly understood. Yeah, I mean, I love Play Bigger. Um, uh, Christopher Lockhead, yeah, I mean, he's he's brilliant. He's um, he's all he's on uh, LinkedIn and, and Twitter too, like doing his thing. He's you can talk to him. He's awesome. But yeah, Play Bigger is an amazing book. I think it's I think it's really sharp. I mean, I think the thing I totally agree with it. Like, you have to the I think the thesis of Play Bigger, which I love is that don't build something in a in a category and accept this like adopt the status quo like if you build something like marketing automation like hubspot did 10 whatever 15 years ago they didn't say we're in the marketing automation space we built a marketing automation tool instead they took a hold of their narrative and they said we built inbound marketing and here's why it's different and here's why it's cool and here's why it's this this here's why it's different it's awesome they didn't accept the status quo. They designed their own narrative. So I love that. I think every company should do that. The thing about Playbigger that I disagree with is that like, it, it, they think that everything should be a new category. And to me, it's just like, I'm, I think people are burnt. I think five years ago, it probably made more sense. But at this point, there's a hundred competitors in every single category. 
and people are burnt out on this whole like here's a new category here's a new category you can create a new narrative and a new game and you can tell an interesting story without saying like without going saying like we're creating a new category so i disagree with that um i just i also disagree with the like you like you have to have a good product you can't like having a saying like the companies with the worst product are in the better position is bad it's just that's not good advice the thing is it's easy to it's easier to build products now it's easy it's easy to get vc funding it's easy to build a good product there's more engineers there's better tools there's a lot of good products and so the difference between the top five products in your space probably isn't probably isn't much you know there's pricing there's features um and usually it comes down to like what it, you know what does this person have a specific need or whatever and then you know you're going to get into this feature war you have to be in the 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 top of this product game but you're not going to win the best product will not just win um but the worst product will for sure lose uh but this is why you need to position your product amazingly you need to design your narrative you need to have compelling product launches you need to build a great brand um because if you're not, if you're in that top five, you have no guarantee of winning. And it, it, certainly, if you don't care about any of those things, you will lose. So you run you run a great podcast. So I, unlike a lot of the guests, I did actually listen to a few of the episodes beforehand. Yes. So I'm I am I'm well versed. I'm not just chatting shit about it. But um, <laughs> so like, why 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 start a podcast? There's a lot of podcasts out there. Like, what were you hoping to achieve out of it? Like, what's the goal? So you know the goal. So it was. It, it's funny. I was. Um, you know, I was the origin story of it was that I was on Pat leave in January of 2020. So it was like right at the beginning of 2020. I was on Pat leave. I had a month. It was just me and the baby at home. And, you know, it's like a newborn basically. And uh, was doing a lot of just hanging out. And so I was listening to a lot of podcasts uh, and I was listening to it was, it was um, Dave Gerhardt and, and David Cancel talking about podcasts and just like, you know, the power of it. And I've always loved podcasts. I've always really wanted to start a podcast it's not something that um, I was going to get the opportunity to do through my work at HubSpot because like, they're not just going to, we're not just going to like be firing off podcasts. Right. Uh, so I thought I should do this because I want to learn it. Like I want to figure it out. Like I want to get good at it. Like, and also like marketers, you should be good at marketing yourself, right? Like if you're a good marketer, you should have the skills to be able to go out and do this stuff and prove it externally, right? And like, that's valuable. And people like care you, wouldn't, you wouldn't trust a skinny chef. You wouldn't, exactly. You wouldn't trust a skinny chef, right? So, and some people try and do it and they fail at it. And they're like, oh, it's not, you know, that's not a marketer you want to hire or, or work with or whatever. So that was important to me. And then um, it, it was, and then I was just thinking about that problem of product marketing and like being frustrated about it where it's like, nobody knows what product marketing is. Everybody thinks it's different. Like how are we supposed to succeed as a group, as an industry, if we don't come together and like talk about this stuff and define it and make people interested in it and, you know, shine a light on all the cool people and cool work and interesting ideas that people have in product marketing. So that was why. Uh, I've been thrilled with it. It's been awesome. I found a really good partner for it in Sharebird, Alex Lopez, you know, so I, I didn't want to do it all myself. Um, I wanted to, you know, my original idea was like Sharebird is this really Sharebird.com is this really cool website with all of these AMAs that product marketers do. And I'm like, they're doing AMAs on the website. I'm like, just take the people who do the AMAs and then that's your funnel for your podcast. So you don't have to worry about like booking people or whatever. They do an AMA, they get introduced to Marcus, Marcus interviews them. And then it's like, 
boom, boom, boom. Cause I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of time for this stuff. Right. So I was trying to think of like, who's a partner who can help with distribution, who can help with booking, who I like, who are good people. Um, is that really worked out? So that that's, I, I think starting a podcast was easier in some ways, harder in other ways, definitely took a ton of time at first. Um, I think it's had a way bigger impact uh, than I thought it would positively for like me. Uh, the thing I would recommend is that if you can find a partner, find a partner, you know, because like doing it by yourself um, is kind of lonely and less fun. And like, plus you don't need to do all the work, right? Like you could, like I went to this, you know, Sharebird was like pumped. They're like, yeah, absolutely. And now they, they do the editing and they do the booking and like they sold, they sold some ad space and like, I didn't, worry about any of that and because I, I just want to create right i just want to interview people i just want to do the fun part um and they've made all that really easy so they're awesome partner i am um, so i started one with uh, a guy called joe glover who runs the marketing meetup over here in the uk and we just started in the first lockdown and it was just a way of us just just chatting shit for uh, like an, an hour a week and yeah. just like, it was it was something that the two of us could come together just chat and just it was kind of a nice bit of respite and actually it's one of those things that is it's the highlight of the week because it's it's something detached from what it is but you get to talk to somebody about something you're passionate about and the reason i love doing these as well is like because they're an interview series effectively and it's basically a podcast but obviously it's live and we've got some comments and obviously video as well so pretty much nothing like a podcast but i get to like chat to people uh, who like i find interesting and have decent conversations so like the power of them like there's definitely marketing power there but i actually i enjoy the process as much yeah. as the outcome yeah yeah same same i enjoy the process too and it's also like it's fun like i mean if you if you were if you hit me up and were like hey you know marcus i just want to chat and uh talk I'd be, i would totally be down right but um when you're like, hey, you know, I got this show, we're going to chat, it's going to go out to all these people, we're going to turn it into a marketing asset, like, that's even cooler for me and for you too, right? It's like, that was another thing where I'm like, I want to, I want to I talk to more product marketers, and I want to learn from people. And like, I want mentors, but I don't really like, I don't want to like, you know, have a sit down mentor that I'm like chasing around. And so you start a podcast, and you like, you learn so damn much from all these people. That's been the, that's been probably the most valuable part of it. Do you know, um, from a marketing perspective as well, it's also an incredible ABM play. So if you if you have a target, don't worry, I'm not about to hit you up with a sales message after this. <laughs> if you have like a, a, a sales prospect and you invite them onto a podcast, it's very difficult for people to say no in terms of like, they like talking about what they do. Um, and it's, it's something that you can engage them in a funnel quite good. Um, yeah. So, and somebody just said that they're a fan of the podcast. So that's, thank you very much. Um, the... Um, so for you, what does a good product launch look like? Yeah. So, uh, good products launch. I think, let me see what I put, I wrote down a smarter answer than I'll give off the cuff, but, um, so I think there's, there's really three big things. One is that like, you know, the, why do a product launch in the first place? It's because you want to vector all of your, all of your efforts into one moment in time. I mentioned this earlier, but like people don't care about you. It's a good thing to accept as a marketer. So if you have all of these, like, you know, little things happening all the time, they're easy to ignore because like people are smart. Like we're constantly trying to ignore all the noise and we're looking for signal. So it's like there's, we're bombarded with messages all day long and there's like brain science that explains this. And then you were looking for like little signals and cues that say, oh, that's important. I should pay attention to it. I should listen to it. And when you take all your effort and you put it into a single push, and so it's like the product team, the marketing team, the sales team, all working together, all pushing, you can be louder, you can be bigger, 
you can be more personal and you're going to capture more attention. It has outsized impacts. So I, I think that is one, like, can you capture it? Did, did, were you effectively, were, did you effectively capture attention with it? A good products launch is designed to do that. It should do that. The second is that, um, it should be a vector alignment uh, exercise internally. So like Darmesh has this whole thread about it. He did it at inbounds like in 2018, where he's like, you know, the biggest problem in business is that is getting people rowing in the same direction because every single person inside of your company has energy and they're pushing in some direction. And if it's all a little misaligned, you know, you're not going to, you're going to be, you're going to be pushing in different directions. But if everybody is focused on the same thing, they push in the same direction, boom, outsized impact, right? And product launch is a, a device that helps people do that. Product is building this thing. They have a deadline. They have to get it done by a certain time because marketing has built a plan around it and that they've educated sales on and everybody's using same direction. So like if you have a good product launch and it's missing that, it's only the marketing team working on it. Product couldn't care less. Sales doesn't know what it is. That's not a good product launch. You want everybody involved. And then the third is just like, you know, have it tied to product uh, adoption and revenue goals, right? So like this thing should make money in a very clear way. What's what's your best product launch? Service Hub back in, uh, I forget now, but that uh, that's my favorite product launch. You know, that was uh, uh, just a crazy one. I mean, HubSpot's such a big machine. And so trying to get it, uh, you know, trying to do that inside of HubSpot and get, um, sales, marketing, and product all aligned in the same direction is a massive task. Wasn't just me working on it, obviously. I worked with, um, we had a really nice team uh, focused on that one. So I worked with Mike Redboard and Dave Barron and um, uh, Sheila and product. And we had a really good group. Halligan was super involved in it. Um, and we did it. You know, we did that thing. We created a moment in time where we made everybody care. We had a really amazing narrative to supply air cover for it, which was the flywheel that the flywheel came out that year and service hub was like the missing piece for the flywheel. That was probably the best part of it. And um, yeah, it was just a massive launch that really did all of those things, captured people's attention, um, great vector alignment internally, massive impact on revenue and adoption. It was super hard and super painful at times and took a long time and took a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but it was, it was my favorite for sure. Ever balls up a product launch? Yeah, so this is a good. I don't work work at HubSpot anymore, so I can tell the story. But uh, what's funny about Service Hub is that it was uh, we were going to launch it um, months earlier, and it was going to launch uh, under a different name. It was going to be called something totally different, and it was going to have the functionality of our conversations tool. So we had all of this like ready to go. There was there's a there's, you know, in a different universe, we launch this thing that uh, was poorly positioned, poorly named, totally incomplete from a product perspective. But we had got the machine up and running and we're ready to push it out the door. And um, I was like, hey, we're, we've done all this work. We've gotten here. Like, let's go. And it was, it was just a bad, it was the wrong decision. Um, thankfully, it wasn't my decision. And Smarter Minds pulled it back and said, no, we need more time. We need to launch this as conversations and reposition what we're thinking about doing with service hub uh and thank god we did so i mean it's kind of kind of uh you know it didn't turn out to be this this bad launch but um we were we were super close you know so it was uh uh it so would finger on the launch button and uh call back from the edge yeah yeah <laughs>
How do you how do you think wider business, so like non-marketing, can support product marketing better? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, um, I think uh, you know, part of product marketing, we just we're trying to uh pull all these groups together. So I mean, I think the thing for products teams is that they should care deeply about their go-to-market, like we were talking about earlier, right? Like how do you be a good, how are you a good products team? How are you a good products manager? How are you a good uh, chief product officer if you don't care about the launch and communication and go-to-market of your products, right? I don't think you can be. Likewise, with sales and marketing, how can you be a good marketer if you don't deeply understand the product that you're selling and the market that you're selling to? Same thing with sales, you know? So those are the things that we products want product marketing wants to happen and wants to see happen and will help with and will encourage these teams to do, but they really have to care to do that because as a marketer, like if you're a you know brand marketer, content creator you don't have to know anything about the product if you don't want to like you, you don't like you can create great content that captures attention that people care about um without knowing anything about the product will that attention and leads and interest turn into anything probably not because it's so divorced from the product um but you can do it so like that's the that pulling together of all those groups i think is really important and, and you know something that teams can do to help product marketing so uh, um, Steve has got another corker of a question. Um, have you had to fight to include emotionally weighted creative in launches for high consideration products? Do senior management and product teams push for more rational comms, features and benefits, competitor matrix, et cetera, despite the recent evidence around importance of emotion in B2B? Yeah, for sure. So this is so like um, the, the last part of that is the most interesting part, right? Like, you know, despite the recent evidence of around importance of emotion in B2B, that's sort of like the important of emotion and marketing, right? Like, I don't think anybody would argue with that. Like humans decide, like we make decisions based on emotion and justify them with logic. And most B2B marketing is really boring and a little bit stale. And so like, if you are different and interesting, you can break through. I think everybody knows that. I don't think like, like you go talk to a CEO at a tech company that has boring marketing and they're like, yeah, I wish we could do more interesting marketing. Um, everyone will say that. But what happens is, is that when, you know, a product marketer comes to a meeting and this happened to me a bunch uh, in my career, you know, comes to a meeting with a narrative that is exciting and different and interesting. It goes through it goes through the process of a bunch of risk adverse executives saying like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And they're doing the right thing. They're doing what's best for the company because they look at this and they're like, that's, they're like, that's what executives are doing. They're trying to avoid risk and point the company towards successful outcomes. So they see, they see this thing and it's like, it's scary. It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. No. And so then, you know, these bright ideas that come through, they die. And so what you have to have is a, you have to have a system and a process that people are bought into. Like that's what narrative design is, right? Like you can be a great storyteller and really good at it. But if you think you can design a narrative and just wow people and, you know, convince people with your charm or what some people can do it, right? Like I don't, I can't do it. Probably 99% of people can't do it. But if you can go, if you can do that, great. But what's better is that if you have a system and a, a consistent device that you know People, people, people will know what to expect. They'll know it works. They'll know what the outcome looks like. They'll know how it's used. And when you get people to believe in that, then then you can come with the crazy story and present it in this box because then people are like, oh yeah, familiar box. I understand how that works. And then the idea is no longer scary, and you can push stuff through. So like that was what um that was what happened at at um 
HubSpot. Like I would come in, you know, with these exciting stories that I really love and people would just be like, this is, this is, I don't understand it. And then well, I did that one day to in a meeting with Halligan and Halligan went and he's like, Hmm, you know, okay. I don't like this, but let me go to the whiteboard. And he drew on the whiteboard like five boxes. And he's like, this is how we told the inbound marketing story back in 2008. He said, I want you to take your story and I want you to plug it into this framework. And then it all worked. And then like, and then people, and then like, it was the same story, similar story, but it was inside of this familiar device that Halligan knew and loved. And then all of a sudden it wasn't a weird, it wasn't a weird story anymore. And that's how we came out with the flywheel and the flywheel was like, you know, pretty successful story. So narrative to a certain degree has to fit within the context of the person that's like receiving the narrative. For sure. Yeah. Like you have, like, you know, the, the executives at work, you know, that are VPs and CMOs and CPOs at these companies, like they, they're not going to just like, they want, they have to have, you know, like a, a structure that's familiar that they understand. And so you gotta, you gotta convince them about the, the, the structure and how it works because they're used to like, you know, a demand gen marketer coming in with a super structured experiment or something like this is how SEO works. Like there's not like, this is how a story works. Like a story is, is subjective. It could mean it could be anything to anybody, but like, you don't like, this is how SEO works. There's no subjectiveness SEO. It's like Google crawls this stuff. That's what they like. They like that. They're used to that. Um, so you got to figure out how to do that with some of these more, you know, like an emotion, an emotionally weighted piece of creative, right? You got to figure out how to do that. Dude, have you, have you still got a few more minutes? Because yeah, I'm cool. We're good. We can keep, we can keep going. So um, what excites you most about marketing and growth right now? Yes. Yeah, so I think the cool, the thing that's most exciting to me is kind of, I mean, kind of what Steve is saying here is like storytelling is back. You know, I, I just, I feel like it really is. Um, you know, I think you, people listening to me probably you get what kind of marketer I am, right? Like I'm not the growth experiment marketer. I'm more of like, you know, I like stories. I like trying to, you know, trying to understand people and convince them and like capture attention and, and, um, like that, those are things I care about. And I just really feel like it's back. You know, I think you mean, you mean there's marketing outside of like CPLs and conversion, right? <laughs> right. There's other stuff. There's other stuff. Uh, and it's really important. And we spent what, 10 years in B2B software, figuring out how to build a demand generation engine, right? It was like, you could become a CMO if you knew how to consistently generate high quality leads that would turn into pipeline and you could project it and you, and you know, like it's awesome, super important. You know, like that there, I remember when I first started working in software, our CMO was like this, he was like a cowboy. He's like, you know, he like came in with a big narrative and he said, we're going to buy ad space in SFO and we're going to, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to get these placements in these trade magazines and we're going to do an event. And it wasn't, we weren't talking about lead gen and like the, you know, we had a, a marketer who was doing some of that stuff, but it was super nascent. And that type of CMO is gone. And the new CMO was the CMO who can build this lead generation machine and build an amazing one. But in a lot of ways, that is um, become democratized, you know, like you can sign up for Brian Belfour's Reforge program. I don't know how long that takes. Uh, or you can, you know, there's all these ways to learn this stuff. There's You can buy HubSpot for free or cheap, right? There's all these tools that help do it. So doing that is has gotten way easier and you can be pretty good at it. So now what we have is like all these B2B SaaS companies that are pretty good at it. 
and they can do it. And so like everybody looks the same, everybody sounds the same, everybody's doing the same lead gen shit. It's all the same except for these now, but now, so now there's a shift back to storytelling. So you've got like, you know, Dave Gerhardt, he's now a CMO at Privy. He did, he's not, I mean, he knows how lead gen works and all that stuff, but he's like a brand storytelling guy. So I think we've seen like, like Joe Chernoff at, at Pendo, he's, you know, he was VP and now he's CMO of Pendo. He's not, he cares about lead gen. It's important to him. He knows how it works, but he's like a content guy. Um, so I think, I think companies are now realizing that it's like, yes, we have to nail demand gen and lead gen and build a growth engine. We have to do that, but everybody can do that. So you got to layer on something else. And I think that's storytelling. And how are you guys planning on growing in 2021? Like what, what's the plan for Pendo? Obviously don't, don't tell me all the trade secrets or you can, it doesn't really bother me if you spill the beans, but like what, what's the plan for you guys? How are you planning on growing? Yes. I mean, I think we've got a really clear focus on, you know, Pendo's at a really interesting place where, um, there's a lot of ways to attack this problem of like software is hard to use software. There's a lot of bad software out there. You can fix it in a lot of different ways. So, I mean, I think you can fix it by building amazing tools for product teams like product analytics and uh, in-app guidance. You can also help enterprise software companies like adopt the soft, have their employees adopt the software that they're already using. Um, and so there's all of these different ways to expand to solve this problem. And right now, very, like the companies in the space, like Pendo does a couple of those things really, really well. Some other companies do like bits and pieces of it really well. But Pendo's got a really exciting vision for um, how you can, how we can do that the best, and like what new products are going to launch to help achieve that. So, I think that's really, I think that is really exciting. I think that's going to work. Pendo launched a free product really recently, and we have an amazing marketer working on that to grow that. And I think it's going to be huge in the next five years. Um, so those are like a few of the larger strategies, but I mean, really just, I think, um, you know, making sure that we have excellent product driven marketing that, uh, is different and people know like who we're for and what we stand for and what we care about having an excellent product, having a world-class, like, you know, sales team, uh, making sure that like, you know, when people come into the funnel, they have an amazing experience, all those things that we know work, I think are is really the focus. So we we in the lead up to this, we promised predictions and we promised that they would probably be wrong, but we still said we'd do them. So <laughs> big top line question, what's next in growth? Where should people be focusing their efforts? All right. So I don't know. Well, I mean, like I gave you storytelling because I think like everybody's pretty good at marketing. Everybody can build a lead gen machine. I think the companies that that invest in story and do it really, really well are going to win. It's a, and then at some point that'll go away. That advantage will go away because everybody will be doing it. But right now I think it's a big advantage there. The other thing that I think is really interesting, um, which is maybe different is just like, is no code, you know, like, I don't know if you follow, um, Scott Brinker, you know, chief Martech, he's always talking about no code, but, uh, I think, you know, it's really easy to, um, for product teams or product marketing teams or entrepreneurs or whoever to, to build, um, a basic MVP of a product right now. So, you know, you can spin up like, like using Pendo, Airtable and Zapier, you could spin up like a web app, you know, like, like Airtable is your database, Zapier is your automation on top of it. And then you can go into your product and you could uh, basically build UI with Pendo. Like it's really easy to, um, uh, it's not easy, but I do think it's something that I think product teams are going to do more of. And, I've, and I saw some of it at HubSpot 
where I think that there'll be like more MVPs because a lot of the time, you know, the cost of, of building an MVP and trying something out, it's really risky for software companies where it's like, Hey, we gotta, we're going to build our hypothesis. We're going to take, we're going to try as hard as we can to get this right. We're going to build this product. And we're going to launch it. And then you'd launch it and it's not the right thing, you know, or it's, or it's wrong. I just think that, um, it's going to be easier for, for companies to like build MVPs to build software faster and to test stuff. Uh, so I think, I don't know if that's the, that's not, I don't know if that's even really a marketing answer. That's more of like a product answer, but I think that's one thing that's cool that I've seen. That, um, that, uh, kind of middleware, that platform play. I remember when we first started using Zapier must've been maybe four, four or five years ago, whenever it was, I, it blew my mind. I was like, this is, so I like, I can do a little bit of coding in my background, but I only ever learned it as a designer because the developers were telling me we couldn't do stuff. Yeah. So like I know a little bit and as soon as I could, point and click different things together it just opens up this whole world of like what we could turn hubspot into and like how we could integrate with different ad platforms and all that kind of stuff and naturally like the native stuff catches up eventually but like that zapier piece i think if we were to lose zapier it would probably bring down like half of our client functionality yeah um, so like i i agree with you on that side and it's really interesting and it's like it's cool because then someone like you can start you know you don't have you know you can code just enough code to be dangerous right like you and you can use your entrepreneurial design experience like to to build stuff that engineers wouldn't think of you know so it's it's really cool and um i I do remember like that just enough code to be dangerous though i have had like clients sometimes where we're saying no we can't do it within this and they're like but i've just built this and we're like fuck (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's changing the game it's it's uh right like t- clients can can uh scrap together some something that does the job it's interesting so um last question uh comes comes from the crowd so ravi wants to know in a role that's less well defined more open to shaping it your own way where do you go for mentorship and professional development what resources do you use to skill yourself up Hey, start a podcast. Um, if there isn't one, if if you're in product marketing, you listen to the product marketing experts. You know, if you um, are an agency, you'd listen to uh, whatever you follow Rich on LinkedIn, and you listen to uh, what Six and Flow has to say. I mean, I think that's the, I think mentors and learning from people are really key. But there's so many shows out there that are really great. So many people creating content. Um, you know, I think like uh, make sure you just absorb what's out there. And if there isn't anything out there, like start your own thing, you know, that's, that's kind of what I did with um, my podcast. Dude, thanks for being up for doing the six sessions with me. It's been a lot of fun. I feel like we could have like continued chatting. I've just noticed there's golf clubs behind you as well. So I think next time we're out in Boston, we'll have to have a round. Yes. Sport. Yes. Nice. I know what it's, I haven't played a lot because, uh, you know, the baby and the pandemic and stuff. That'd be great. Come to Boston. We'll get uh, Justin out. We'll hang out post pandemic, do some golf. It'd be great. I'm in. Um, if anybody wants to follow up with you, how's best for them to connect with you? Yeah, um, just connect with me on LinkedIn. I love it. Um, you know, when people shoot me messages, but uh, that's the best place to connect there. I share all the product marketing and whenever there's a new episode of the product marketing experts, um, I've got a course called uh, Narrative Design. It's a Narrative Design Masterclass. I worked on with the PMA that's out. I post about all that stuff on LinkedIn. So just uh, follow me there, connect with me there. And I, I saw someone giving you a very glowing review about there were only 10% uh, the way through and they were loving the course so it must be good yeah it was fun yeah that's all I said too. That, was, that was Ashley it's really nice to see people um uh value this stuff for sure um any parting wisdom to share on Friday afternoon or Friday morning that's all I got man it was good to connect um but uh yeah this was awesome I appreciate um you asking me to be here 
Thanks for joining everybody. Next week, we have Mike McGraw, a man whose job it is to create growth through content for a whiskey distillery. Your job's cool, Marcus, but I mean, the dude works in whiskey, so. That's cooler. Hopefully see you then, everybody.